0: Well, good morning. Uh, we have, uh, today we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 5, uh, verses 21 through 26. As you're turning there, I, uh, I thought back this week about a time where I was a counselor. So the first time being a camp counselor in Koinea, I was like 15 years old, and I got a group of eight very rambunctious uh, eight to ten-year-olds. And being my first time, <clears throat> we thought it'd be good to do some kind of cabin outing, come to some kind, of, some kind of like group bonding time and so a lot of the boys brought baseball bats so we said okay let's do baseball. So we went for it and there's one guy who uh, we'll, uh, we'll call Kevin and uh, he said you know I I play in a league, I am the best on my team right now I'm gonna crush it out of the park you know and so he went on to say how good he was and so, okay, we'll, we'll play, and so we played, and um, basically we had him, and first pitch came, and he swung, and he missed, and he's like, oh, you guys got lucky, you know, it was, just, it was you know, just warming up, you know, and the next one he goes, and he swings at it, and he, he hits it, but it fouls off, so strike two, and then the third one, again, same pitch, swings at it, misses, and you just see this this just anger takeover over his face, and he just takes it out and goes, no, 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 it's not fair. Every time, you guys, it's not fair. That was that was too fast. It's, it's faster than I'm used to seeing. And he just cried and wept, and it was just so uh, awful. It was just a total for tantrum we were having there. Um, and he just sobbed and sobbed, and then he spent the rest of the hours, it was like the first night I was there too, trying to console him over that. Uh, and you could say that he holds, you know, as some people would say, he wears his heart on his sleeve, um, and his anger was just obvious for everyone to see. Any time he was just like a, a fuse ready to blow up, you know, if anything went wrong. And um, you know, as we as we are adults, we look at that and say, well, you know, it's kids, you know, they don't know how to, you know, to show their emotion, or that you know, they just they display their emotions for everyone to see, but. Uh, I don't know, are we really any different than Kevin is, inwardly? Uh, or are we just better at outwardly hiding how we feel inside? Are we better at hiding and feel, hiding the feelings of anger and hatred that we have? I, th- I think about my own life. Uh, Every time I go to the happiest place on earth, you know, the, the DMV, I uh, I oftentimes I remember a time where I went and it was an hour and a half wait and I was trying to get a registration form changed for an address and I got to the end of the line and, I, you know, I'm greeted by this lady who just would not want to talk with me if she didn't have to. And I'm like, hey, I'm just trying to change this. Can I, you know, is this possible? And then she's like, no, you have the wrong form. Go back and fill out a new form and come back in line. And so basically my entire trip to the DMV was wasted because I had the wrong form. And I was like, you know, arguing in my mind, like, well, if you didn't say it online, that it had to be that form. And like, why can't you just give me the form and I'll fill it out real quick? And she's like, nope, go back in line. And I was just... Although I didn't say anything to her, I just felt in my heart just, oh my goodness, what a waste of time. Why are these people are so useless? Like why do they not even help at all? And I could have been like Kevin, taking a bat and hitting and going, no, 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 just let me get the form, come on. And yet, I didn't. I walked out, I simply was like, oh, whatever, DMV, it is what it is. And I think that's what most of us, we know what it's like to be angry, although we may not express it as openly, we know what it's like. And uh, we've learned to hide it well enough so that no one else can really see it. But when you kind of take a step back, and I I thought about that instance, I looked at my heart, and I realized, wow, my heart is really wicked. My heart, the thoughts I had, you know, of of thoughts towards that lady, of thoughts to the whole organization as a whole, it's pretty scary to think of where my mind went, where my heart went when I came to that uh, encounter, even though I never said anything, even though no one else in the DMB knew that's how I felt. But God knew it. God knew my heart was not in the right place. And uh, I'm going to tell you something surprising about myself and about yourselves that may uh, shock you. Not only have I been angry and hateful at different points in my life, I've also been found guilty of murder. And although uh, you could do the most thorough background checks on me, you could look at the DOJ, the FBI, search as much as you want. You won't find those records of it. as much as you'd like to see it, you wouldn't see the murderous crimes I've committed. And while that may be alarming to you, thinking that this is the person giving you this message, I think what shock even more is the fact that you've also, at some point in your life, been guilty of murder. And you might say, no, <laughs> not a chance. I'm a law-abiding citizen. I don't do those kinds. I'm not, I'm not a murderer. No. There's no record of that. There's no way. I'm, I'm not that kind of person. And while it's true you may have not physically killed someone... In our hearts, we have. You say, well, David, who's bringing my heart to trial? No, nobody knows my heart. That's my thoughts. Those are my, my personal space. Nobody knows that. Well, hang on now. Is, is God not able to see our hearts? Is he not able to see the thoughts and intentions that we have? You see, the Lord today is going to introduce a radical idea to us. It's something that we rarely probably think about. It's the idea that hatred... And anger in our hearts makes us guilty of murder. Anger is not just the seed that grows to hatred and hatred to murder. It's saying if you have hatred in your heart, you are a murderer in the eyes of God. And really, that's exactly what we're going to be looking at today. In this section, we're going to really talk about three things. First thing is anger itself and the hatred that we have in our hearts. Secondly, we're going to talk about the ways we should handle conflicts with our brothers and sisters. And finally, it's a warning to all those who hold anger in their hearts and the damaging effects it can have. So last week, Noad uh, finished off in Matthew 5, and he finished off at uh, verse 20, where it says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees, as we know, are religious leaders who have studied the law through and through, They know all the ins and outs, and these are people who, you know, when Jesus said this thing, people must have said, well, there's no hope for me. If I can't, if if even their righteousness is not good enough, then, you know, me as a, you know, a normal person here who doesn't study it regular, there's no, no chance. How could I ever be more righteous than the Pharisees? You know, you see that they were sticklers, the Pharisees. They came to the law time and time again, and even added additional laws in an attempt to demonstrate just how outwardly righteous they were. Yet in their hearts, they were so far from being righteous. They would say, well, the Bible tells me not to murder, so of course I'm not going to do that. That's obvious. But it never told me I couldn't harbor bitterness or hatred or anger towards someone else in my heart. I can't be accountable for that, can I? And yet that's exactly what Jesus is talking about today. And really, this is just the beginning of the next, really, five sections after this, where Jesus is going to really challenge the thoughts that we, you know, we see, you know, it's been said of old, but I tell you. It's been said, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you. He's saying, you know what, you've read the Old Testament and you know those things, but I'm going to really expound upon what's detailed in the law to really get to the heart issue behind the sin. Jesus, Jesus wants to take us past just the superficial of, you know, this is the law and, you know, don't kill and don't go across that line, but really get to the heart issue and, and go to the very depths of our heart and our minds and examine our feelings that we have. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. You have said it, you have heard it said, you have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in the danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in the danger of the hellfire. Therefore, if your brother brings your gift to the altar and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go away, and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on your way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hands you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you have paid the last penny. So Jesus, he's starting off verse 21 with something that we're well familiar with. It's, it says, you have heard that it was said of, to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. Pharisees knew that. It was one of the Ten Commandments. It was actually the Sixth Commandment that's saying you shall not murder or you shall not kill. Uh, And you know, if it was found that you were a murderer, you had killed someone, the logical punishment was that you would also be killed and your life would be taken. You'd be put to death for that crime. And so really there's nothing new. This is Jesus just referring to the Old Testament to remind them of what they know before he expounds and elaborates on how seriously he really takes this law in verse 22. And this, line, like, this law, like I said, wasn't just to be, all right, here's the line in the sand, don't cross that, but anything behind that's fine. He was, he's really trying to get to the root of it. He's not saying, you know, you know, don't kill, but you know, harboring thoughts, being angry. I don't want to talk to this brother or sister. No, he, he says, let's, let's focus on really the heart issue behind this. That's God's intention. He wants to examine ourselves even on a deeper level. Really, if, if I were to explain it, uh, it's like Jesus is trying to go in for a heart surgery. You know, we have patients all the time who come in, they look okay, they're not bad looking, but when you do examinations upon their heart, you find out, wow, their heart is, you know, in failure mode. It's doing terribly, and that's what Jesus is showing. Like, you look okay right now, but if I actually showed you what you look like, it's doing terrible. And you need to address that issue before it gets worse and worse and worse. And so that would, that's what Jesus is doing today, performing heart surgery, if you will, on us. Verse 22, But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without cause shall be in danger of the judgment, and whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of the hell, of hellfire. First off, Jesus says, If you're angry with your brother for no reason, you're in danger of judgment. And a lot of you would say, well, I've got plenty of reasons to be angry with my brother. I'll tell you, you don't know him. Uh, (laughs) But anger is really only justifiable in situations where God's being dishonored. If you think about Jesus when he was in the temple, there was the money changers there. There was buying and selling in the temple. And Jesus, it says that he was angry and he overturned tables and he drove them out of there because it was dishonoring to his father. This was his holy place where he was supposed to be remembered, worshipped, sacrifices were to be brought and they turned it into a den of thieves. And that's righteous anger that's being described in the Bible. Other times, God talks about anger that he has towards unrighteous deeds, things that are clearly marked in the Bible that this is wrong to do. And God has anger towards nations who have disobeyed him in those ways. So anger itself is not necessarily wrong, but most of the anger that we have is for anger of unrighteous nature. Maybe I'm just, I'm mad that, you know, I wanted that first and you got it, or maybe I'm mad that, you know, it, I, I thought I deserved that more, or it stems from just pride, selfishness, jealousy that we have towards people. All things that are not righteous reasons for anger. And Jesus then takes it a step farther and says, whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. When's the last time you, you called a person Raka? Pro- probably never. It's an Aramaic term that really, if it's translated, it just means empty one or in today's terms, idiot. And it's, it's a word that's derogatory in nature. It's, it's meant to be a knock about, against someone's intellect to say that they're empty-headed or, or an idiot. And it's probably not the most hurtful thing you could say to someone. I could think of a lot worse words to say. But really, I mean, how often do we just you know drive down the freeway and someone's just kind of swerving and not putting his blinker on You go, what an idiot. Oh, what is he thinking? He almost, you know, he almost killed me, or he almost, you know, rammed in two other cars, and we just, just say these things, like, oh, I hate drivers like that. So annoying. And yet, if we really like look back at that, like, we're angry at that person. We're frustrated. And we're like saying these things just as an exclamation. Idiot. And yet, God's saying, even that makes you. Uh, in danger of a trial before at the time it would be the Sanhedrin, which would be the highest court of the time. So think about even that would be in danger in today's society in front of the Supreme Court. That's, that's, pretty, uh, that's pretty serious, though, what Jesus is talking about there. Jesus then takes it even farther and says, but whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. The idea is that you're demeaning now someone's character. You're not just thinking about their intellect. You're, you've said past just maybe their head. This person, to their very core, they're a fool. And it's not just, I just think that person's stupid. In fact, you're saying that person serves no purpose in society. they have no value. And ultimately, they'd be better off dead. It's saying that life would be better if that person wasn't alive. And Jesus says, if you utter these words, you're in danger of hellfire. And uh, it just shows us how serious God is about these things. I know at one point in my life, I've said these words. You know, life would be so much better if so-and-so wasn't around. Life would be so much better if this person didn't exist. And we say these things. And really, Jesus is saying, that is enough to, to send you to hell for those kind of things. I'm guilty to my own shame of saying those things. I also wanted to be clear here to mention this, that Jesus isn't just saying that if you have angry thoughts in your mind or in your heart, Those thoughts lead to murder. He is saying that if you have anger and hatred in towards your heart, towards a brother or sister in Christ, or anyone for that matter, then in God's eyes, you've already done the deed. You've already killed them in your mind. And you say, well, I don't think Jesus meant that. 1 John uh, John 3, 15 elaborates, and it's saying this is exactly what Jesus meant. It says, whoever hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I mean, (laughs) this... This turns everything upside down from what we know. You know, we thought, well, we're doing okay, we haven't killed anyone, but now Jesus is saying, no, you're already a murderer if you hate your brother. You know, people love to consider themselves to be good and righteous people. We love to say, you know, I'm better than most people, I'm not a horrible person, I'm not, you know, I wouldn't, you know, I'm not, clearly I'm not a murderer, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, you know, that's like the worst thing we can think about, you know, maybe pedophiles and murderers, those are the worst kind of people we think about. I'm not that bad of a person. I, I wouldn't do those kind of things. And it's almost like, you know, there, there's worse people out there. But no longer can someone say and look at themselves and hold up their head high thinking that I am righteous. I've kept the Ten Commandments because Jesus says, no, you haven't. If you're being honest, you've been angry at some point in your life or another. I know I have. And you hated someone. And in God's eyes, that's equivalent to murder. And Jesus, again, is just taking us deeper and deeper to, to get, try and examine a, our hearts. Our hearts our motives, examine our thoughts and realize how wicked we are before a holy God who sees everything that we see, everything that we feel, everything that we think, everything on our heart. I mean, it's pretty incredible actually if you think, what would life be like if there was no restraints to anger? Oftentimes people, you know, they're going down the road maybe and they're cut off or someone's says to rude to them and they want to retaliate but they think, no, I could lose my job. No, I could, you know, you know, I don't want to act unprofessional in front of everyone. Or no, if I did that, then if I killed them, then I would go to jail. I don't want to do that. But if there was no restraints on the things you did, if there's no punishment behind it, it's amazing how far anger will take us. There was a, <clears throat> there's a verse in Mark that says, just showing how truly evil our hearts are. It says, From within, from within out of the heart of men proceeds evil thoughts, adultery, fornication, and listen, murders thefts, covetousness, wickedness, deceit, lewdness, an evil eye, blasphemy, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within and defile a man. Uh, If you you look at most of the mass shooters, which it's more and more an occurrence today, uh, I think they estimated that there's been more mass shootings this year than there have been days of the year. It's incredible how many shootings there are. And uh, you begin to look at it and you say, wow, how does that just come about? How is it that, you know, one day they just decided to wake up and shoot these people? But realize it didn't just start that very day. If you look at the news, you'll know, or if you could look into their heart, you'd realize the anger began in their heart. They were angry, angry initially at maybe a group of people. Maybe it was a religious group. Maybe it was a boss, a friend, a spouse, teacher, whoever it is. They began to harbor some anger in their heart. And... They began then plotting, how am I going to get away with this? How am I going to carry out my plan? And finally, you see that what that person did really is just the fulfillment of what they already accomplished in their hearts. When those people carry out those things, they already have decided that's what they're going to do, and now it's just coming to action. And Revelation talks all the time about um, when the Holy Spirit, who is now restraining people from doing all sorts of wicked finally is lifted and the chaos and the mayhem that breaks out it's incredible to think of how people would act once the holy spirit no longer restrains once they no longer have limits of you know fear of maybe what will happen or the punishment that comes with it you have anarchy mayhem chaos people are reckless and it's because they've decided to do in their heart what now has no barriers from preventing them from carrying it out and you can read more about it. I don't have time to go through it, but in Revelation, it talks about all about this coming in, in the tribulation. Horrible place where people plan to do in their heart and actually carry it out because of the lack of punishment. And now, even now, you see these things on the news and you're shocked by it, but that's just the beginnings. Just, that's just the things that God is allowing to occur. How much worse would it be if God actually allowed men to do whatever they wanted? You know, there's been people who have, uh, I've been with Daniel, he's been getting me into this uh, podcast called Crime Junkie, and uh, it talks about mass murders, it talks about the minds behind these evil people, and why they did what they did, and a lot of times there's, there's episodes where there have been like forensic scientists who are trying to look at the mind and say, is there anything that's unusual about the mind, is there a reason why they acted the way they did, is there something that could like tell us that this is why they did it? And yet, time and time again, when they look at the minds of these people, they find that it's exactly like my mind and your mind. And that scares them to find out that really anybody could have done these things. People who had great reputations at work, people who were uh, men of high power, women of you know, prestige, all these things are done by these people who you would never suspect it. And they want a way to explain how someone's mind could go there. But they fail to realize the sinful nature that we all have, that anyone is able to do all these wicked things. Uh, it's actually interesting. The Bible actually gives us a, um, a picture into the mind of a murderer. It, uh, it actually begins in the very beginning of the Bible where we have Cain contemplating murdering his brother. It's an example of anger beginning in the heart and leading to actions to actually physically carry out his murderous plan. Genesis one or Genesis 4 talks about this encounter. It says in verse 1, Now Adam knew his wife, meaning he had intercourse with her, and she conceived and bore Cain, and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord, and then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. So you have two brothers, Cain and Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. So we have Abel being a farmer, and, or not a farmer, but a uh, shepherd, and we have Cain being a farmer. Abel also, so in it came, in verse 3, And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought the firstborn of the flock and of their fat, and the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain, and Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So we have here, God has accepted the sacrifice of Abel because he's brought what was righteously to be brought before the Lord, and Cain decided he was going to bring the first fruits of whatever he had. And because of that, Cain's sacrifice was not accepted. And Cain began to hate his brother. He began, his countenance fell, he was very angry, and that's where the murder started. It was in his heart. He hadn't yet physically killed his brother, but already the hatred was brewing, he was already like, Brother, he won up me. He did, you know, he's done something that the Lord is pleased with, and I'm not pleased with, and I'm, I'm frustrated with that, and I, I don't like that. And he thought of a way, how am I going to get rid of Abel? And so God really pulls him aside, and this is a very interesting encounter that we get to see of God really dealing with angry thoughts right here in the Bible. And he pulls him to the side and says, You know, let's talk about what's happening in your heart right now. Verse 6, where the Lord picks up it says, So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. You see, God knows that Cain has thoughts that are just murderous towards his brother. He knows he hates Abel. And so God tells him, You have two paths you can take. Path number one is you turn and repent from the ways you're going to go and offer the proper sacrifice, and then continue on with your relationship with your brother. Or the second path, sin's knocking on the door. It's asking for you. You can continue down that road of bitterness, of anger, of hate. And sin was ready there for you. What will you do? And so we have with these two paths clearly laid out, one of repentance and one of continuing down this road of bitterness. What will Cain do? Will he continue this way or will he turn from his anger? And I think we all know what happens in verse 8. Now Cain talked with his brother Abel and it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. So Cain, he took the second option. He murdered his brother. But you see, murder in that situation, it didn't happen the day, that that moment that he killed him. He had already plotted it out. He was contemplating it for a while. He allowed his mind to brew on it. He thought it over and over again. Even with the Lord telling him the two paths he could take, he still said, no, I'm going to go forward with this. I hate my brother that much right now. And in fact, uh, Cain didn't think that anyone could see what he had done. And so when God asked him, even though God knew full well, not only what was on his heart, but also what actions he had done, he asked, you know, Cain, where, where is your brother Abel? And he just shrugs his shoulders and says, you know, am I my brother's keeper? I don't know. As if God didn't already know what had happened. As if God didn't already know that he had made the choice to kill him and where his his brother's body lay. So you see, murder begins in the heart, and when given opportunity, murder led to physically killing his brother. William Barclay uh, summarized Jesus' teaching here by saying, Jesus now forbids forever the anger which broods, the anger which will not forget, the anger which refuses to be pacified, the anger which seeks revenge. No longer can we say, well, I haven't, You know, I'm angry, but I haven't done anything about it. No longer can we say, well, I have hatred in my heart, but no one else sees it. God sees it all. And Jesus is saying, if you're angry with your heart, in the eyes of God, you're just as guilty as if you committed the deed. God sees the depths of our hearts. He sees the depths of your hearts. He sees the depths of my heart. It's on full display for him to see. And what I'm sharing with you, you've probably heard this many times. This is not probably new verses by any means to anyone. Um, Many of us even memorize some of these verses or passages, we could quote it back to us. Um, And it's amazing how we can know these verses, memorize them, even know God's stance on murder, and yet we allow ourselves to be angry with others. And yet we allow ourselves to say, you know what? I know God says that, but right now, I don't want this brother or sister in my life right now. They don't deserve my communication with me. I know that I should probably address this problem, but I genuinely just enjoy being angry at them. I don't don't want to fix that problem because it kind of gives me an advantage over them that they've kind of done this wrong and I'm not ready to resolve it yet. And we keep this bitterness, we keep people off of speaking terms with us and sometimes it gets so bad that it leads on from generation. Maybe the first generation wouldn't deal with this issue and then the kids then can't speak with that family because that family did that person wrong. Because all of something so small way back when, you might laugh, but it happens all the time. There are people that you may not be on speaking terms with because of something that happened from your grandparents or your great-grandparents, all starting with anger over something small. Some people will go as far to even wish the other person was dead and out of their life altogether. And Jesus, again, is reminding us that the path of angerness and bitterness will destroy you. I know I've been angry in my life, and I've seen how prolonged anger leads to just feeling empty, to feeling numb, to feeling just just consumed by this anger and this rage you have in your heart that leads to just ruined relationships. It re- leads to, to a terrible walk with the Lord. It leads to being ineffective for anything for the, for the Lord's service. It leads to wasted years all over something that could have been addressed. Do you realize the seriousness about what Jesus is talking about today? And so we've been talking about ha- anger and hatred that we have and how G- God wants us to avoid that road. And now he's going to give us examples of how we can practically avoid going down these roads. But I want to point out that these references actually are not in reference to when you are angry, but it's actually when someone else has something against you. So now it's it's not just your own thoughts, but God says, you know what? I want you to even think about your brother's thoughts, your sister's thoughts, if they have something against you. You know, a lot of people, when they uh, say, well... <laughs> That person has something against me? Well, that's their problem, you know. I, you know it's not my problem. If they're going to be angry, they're going to be angry. It's, I don't have any responsibility for that. They can feel however they want to. And we just brush it off as if we get permission to allow our brother or sister to be angry with us. And yet Jesus is saying here, no, you don't. If a brother or a sister has something against you, deal with that problem. It is our problem to be aware of what problems our brother or sister has against us and try to amend those problems verses 23 and 24 talk about that therefore if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you leave your gift before the altar and go your way first be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift and the idea here is that you know we don't uh, go to the temple and offer our gifts anymore but if you're going to church and you're here to come and worship the lord and you remember you know what I have, I have a bad relationship with that person I'm about to sp- spend the next hour with in the breaking of bread. I, I know that this guy's going to be here today and I left on really bad terms last week. I didn't address those problems. It's saying, you know what? It'd be better for you to first address those problems, call him up on the phone and say, hey, you know what, brother? I, I made a mistake last week. I said something I probably shouldn't have said. I hurt your feelings in that way and I know that the reason we haven't been speaking this last week is because of those problems. I am sorry. I I don't want to go before the Lord and pretend as if everything's okay, and yet it's not. I don't want to pretend and worship the Lord and say, Lord, I love you and thank you for forgiving my sins, and yet still harboring hatred towards him. I don't want to still continue down this path of spending the next two weeks, three weeks, years, decades because of something small I could address today. God is not fooled, and he knows that there's tensions between you two. So address them before coming to church. It's, you say, well, it's important to come to church. I don't want to miss church. But God's saying, it's more important if you address this today. Get this resolved before coming to me. You can always come back to church. But right now, you need to address this problem with your brother or your sister, your friend, your coworker, whoever it may be in your life that you have been at odds with, who you have not resolved things with. Whatever it may be, deal with it now. And sometimes, you know, it's hard. It is hard for us to, to make that call. I mean, I'll be honest. I've had to make calls like that before where I've called people and say, you know what, I don't even know if you remember this, but I know that I hurt you in this way. I know that I said something I shouldn't have said, and I just want to ask for you forgiveness. And I think a lot of it's just our pride. It's just we, we don't want to say those things, but in, the, in reality, it's so much better for us to finally make that call and just say, you know what, I know I hurt you. Just please... I just want to be restored in that relationship with you. Will you forgive me? And I think if we're actually, honestly, genuinely coming before someone, trying to be reconciled, God honors those things. God appreciates those things that we do when we come before Him without any kind of ulterior motive, wanting to just genuinely be reconciled. And there are some people in life who you can try to be reconciled with and they'll refuse that. And that's a whole other uh, sermon altogether. But our goal is to make every effort to be reconciled to our brother, to be at peace with him. In fact, Romans 12 talks about it. If it is possible, as much as it depends on you, live peaceably with all men. That's our goal, to live peaceably with all men, to fix the strained relationships to as far the extent that we can. To not just say, well, if he has a problem with me, then that's his problem. No, realize that the detrimental effects that bitterness, that anger, that hatred can have in our hearts and resolve it to the best of our abilities that we can to restore fellowship between our brother. Jesus then uh, gives us another example, and this time it's not dealing with an issue with a brother or a friend or someone close to us. Now he goes even farther. He's saying, now we're going to talk about an enemy you might have. This is your adversary, someone who probably wishes you didn't exist, someone who wishes for your failure, someone who doesn't care for your well-being, someone who you're at odds with, Someone who you just cannot seem to get along with. This is the person I want you to start resolving problems with too. And the idea behind these two verses is that anger, if it's given the occasion, is going to continue to spiral out of control. And let's read these two verses. It's in 25 and 26. Agree with your adversary quickly while you're on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, the judge hand you over to the officer, and you be thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out of there until you paid the last penny. There's a story of two roommates who um, basically were in uh, court together, one over assaulting together and the other one over threatening to kill the other person. And what did it all start over? If you look back to the very beginning of it, it all started over who took the ice cream bar in the fridge. They started over and said, you took it. I left it there. It was for me after it came back from work. Why did you take it? And they other person, I didn't take it, man. I didn't take it. Well, you know what? I'm not paying rent then. And the other person, we aren't going to pay rent then. I'm going to hit, you know. And then he just began to spiral out of control. One person hit the other person. The other person yelled and threatened to kill them. The other person to convict, uh, said, well, I'm going to be evicted. And the other person said, well, I'm going to sue you. And it just spiraled out of control all over something so small, an ice cream bar. It's crazy. And yet now they're in court together, one over assaulting the other, and the other one over threatening to kill them. It's crazy. And yet... Jesus says, this is, how, Jesus is well aware, this can happen. Anger spirals, spirals out of control really quickly. Now the one is serving jail time, and the other one got fined for his actions. And there are so many stories of friends being torn apart over something so small like that. Neither side willing to be reconciled because they both felt they were right. You see even churches splitting over something that's so forgetful in the long run, and yet it divided them in half and made their effectiveness for church useless almost because they did not want to resolve those issues. Jesus realizes the long-term damaging effects that it can have, and he uses this verse to remind us, deal with the situation now. While before it gets out of hand, deal with it right now, today. If you realize you're at fault, have the urgency to say, you know what, I need to address this now. In fact, Ephesians even says, Uh, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. This is a great verse for every situation, but I've tried to make it an application to my own life, is that I will not sleep until an issue I'm aware of is dealt with. Because I know that if I sleep on it, maybe tomorrow I'll wake up even more angry, and I'll just wait, you know what? Days is going to turn to weeks, weeks to months, months to years, and years to decades. I know that in my heart that it happens. And so I, I try to make it my goal to not let the sun go down on my anger. To not allow myself to stew overnight about it. To address the idea while it's still fresh in my mind. So my, my encouragement to you and my plea to you is, don't waste your time. Today is the day for fixing issues. Otherwise, like I said, it will lead out of control and continue over decades. And in fact, it even leads, like I said earlier, from generation to generation if it just one thing is not addressed. So don't allow that to continue down the road. And I know there's a lot of people today who may have issues in your own life. Maybe it's not a brother or sister in Christ, but maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your extended family. Maybe it's, you know, someone you haven't talked with in years because of a reason that happened who knows how long ago. Address those issues today. Don't allow it to continue. And really my question is, what are you waiting for? (laughs) Why have you not gone to that person to resolve those issues? Why have you not sought to be reconciled with them? Why have you not sought to address those problems? Because it's not going to fix itself if we don't address them first. Who is it in your life that you need to talk to today and make things right with? Jesus has been reminding us this morning he does not want us to live in anger or in bitterness. He knows our thoughts. He sees our hearts. And if we have anger in our hearts, it is equivalent to murder. He's called us to love our brothers, to forgive them and be reconciled to them and to live at peace with them. I just, I just urge you, don't allow the sun to go down on your anger today. Resolve the issues with your brother while you still can. Let's pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we look at this passage, and Lord, it's very convicting to me, I'm sure as well as to many others, Lord, of just how serious you take anger, Lord. We look at it and we realize the serious consequences that it has and how it continues to spiral out of control. And Lord, we don't want to let our anger consume us, Lord. We don't want to let our anger Separate us from another brother or sister. And Lord, I pray that we would be reconciled with those who we haven't talked with in a while, with those who we are at odds with. Lord, I pray that we would make it a a conscious effort this week, even this very day, to be reconciled with those strained relationships that we have refused time and time again to fix. Lord Jesus, I pray that you just continue working in our lives and making us more and more like you. I pray all these things in your name. Amen.